Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your man Montel Jordan, and this is how we do it. And right now, you're listening to Legal Face Off on WGN Radio. That's right. You're locked onto the high energy legal podcast with lawyers Rich Lenkov and Tina Martini. And they're going to be trading jabs on the breaking news and the hottest issues, sports, entertainment, politics. Nothing is off limits. Keep listening because this is how we do it. Happy New Year and our first installment of the 2022 Legal Faceoff podcast here on WGN Radio. I'm Joe Brand and joined as always by our two hosts, Tina Martini of McDermott, Will and Emery. Happy New Year, Tina. Happy New Year, Joe. Good to see you. Likewise. And we can say Happy New Year one more time. That's apparently the rule. (laughs) I'll say it. You know my feelings on Happy New Year, like at this late point in the year. It's only five days in. I'm already sick of saying it. So I'm putting up moratorium, Lisa, on uh, Happy New Year's going forward. If I get sued, I'm hiring you for that. Okay. I think it's allowed all through January, personally. Oh, my God. I think so. I agree. We're squeezing in the term Happy New Year as much as we can because Rich won't allow us in the next podcast. We start today's show with the topics of the Ghislaine Maxwell verdicts and news about Prince Andrew getting involved as well. With that, we bring in Lisa Bloom, who represents several of the survivors. You can find out more about her firm at thebloomfirm.com. She's also a product of the School of Gloria Allred, who's another friend of this podcast as well. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. I've been called Spawn of Gloria Allred. Yes, <laughs> true. Guilty as charged. Uh, Lisa, your your resume is, of course, uh, unbelievable. We don't have time to uh, d- uh, get into it in detail, but we're really humbled to have you on our show. Uh, you've been a longtime legal analyst, among many other roles that you serve, so we really appreciate it. <laughs> Let's dig into the Maxwell verdict, because you, of course, represented or represent eight of Epstein's uh, victims. Just tell us, first and foremost, how they are feeling now after justice in many respects. Some feel that, you know, uh, we don't really know which justice will be served until she ascends. But how are they feeling now in the wake of the verdict from uh, last week? Moved to tears. Uh, we all were when that verdict came down after decades of Ghislaine Maxwell getting away with it. Uh, we can now call her what she is. She's a convicted sex trafficker. And my clients in general, and even in other cases, because I represent many sexual assault and sexual harassment victims, they feel in general very inspired by this vict- victim, you know, victory that this is really possible. The victory is possible that you can come forward and be an ordinary person against a very wealthy and powerful, well-connected person, and you can get justice. So it means a lot to them. And just picking up on that, Tina wants to jump in, but you know, you again, as you as you mentioned, represent have represented hundreds of victims of uh, sexual harassment, sexual assault. Talk to us a little bit about how difficult it is for your clients to come forward and how important and gratifying it is to finally have that trust in the public and in the court system, especially, you know, verified by verdicts like this. Fear is the biggest obstacle for all of my clients. They're terrified of what might happen. Uh, You know, we really hold their hands and walk them through the process. It's very scary for them. Um, but you know, once people make that first move, they call a lawyer, they understand the process, the fear diminishes, then they do a deposition or they go to court and they realize, you know what, I can do this. And I think ultimately it's a very empowering experience for people to stand up for their rights. So Lisa, let's talk about Prince Andrew for a moment. You've said that he should be worried about his association with Maxwell. He had a pretty tough day in court yesterday. Um, He was arguing that there was the secret settlement agreement between Epstein and one of his accusers. 
um, revealing language that the lawyers were arguing um, shields him from liability didn't seem to come off too well yesterday. What's right. your take on Prince Andrew and what happened in court yesterday? Right. So I listened in on it. Uh, I was allowed to. I wasn't eavesdropping. There was a public line and I got to listen in. And I was fascinated because, you know, a motion to dismiss in a civil a sexual assault case, this is the kind of thing I do all the time. Yet the world is really interested in this one. Right. And so we have the judge very aggressively questioning Prince Andrew's attorneys, telling them to move on. Next point. You know, oof, that's always a bad sign when you're an attorney. Right. And I think, you know, big picture, Prince Andrew is trying to use legal technicalities to block Virginia, his accuser, block her access to the courthouse door. And what was most shocking to me about the argument yesterday was that his attorneys argued that the entire child sexual abuse law in New York, which gives victims more time to sue, that extended statute of limitations, should be struck down as unconstitutional. So he was trying to block not only Virginia's access to justice, but access for all other victims in New York. To ju- I mean, that was really shocking to me. Uh, I wondered, you know, does his mother, the queen, know this is what he's trying to do? Uh, thankfully, the judge did not seem to be having it or any of the rest of his arguments. Uh, we don't have a ruling yet, but I, if I were representing Virginia, I would be very optimistic. So, Lisa, uh, Maxwell could face or faces up to 65 years in prison. Do you think she'll flip her brother the other day said there's no way she's going to cut a deal? Of course, the incentive to cutting a deal is is a reduced jail time. And the incentive for the government is there's other potentially much bigger names out there. We mentioned Prince Andrew. We heard testimony in the trial from Epstein's former pilot that, you know, Donald Trump, Bill Clinton, Itzhak Perlman, uh, Kevin Spacey, this whole laundry list of famous people were at least on the plane. So you think, does she cut a deal in exchange for giving up some names in her famous little black book? I think it's unlikely. First, she probably would have done the cooperation agreement before trial. She would have been in a better position then. Uh, The government is frankly in a much stronger position now because they got a guilty verdict, five guilty verdicts, five felonies that she's now been convicted of. Uh, So I think that's one reason. And secondly, you know, does she really want to flip on other people? Does she have information that can be used against them? She probably does have a lot of information. um, But I I just I don't see it. I think she's got a big ego and she's very arrogant. So she didn't testify in the trial, but she did in a prior civil case. And I read the deposition and boy, you can see why she would not testify in her criminal trial, because she was a terrible witness. She's arrogant. She pushes back and argues with the lawyers. She refuses to answer questions just because she doesn't like them. And as a result of that civil deposition, she was also charged with perjury. So. I think she has a big ego and she probably believes that she's going to win on appeal. And I don't see her cooperating at this point. So, Lisa, on a lighter note, as we were talking about at the beginning of the segment, your mom is famed civil rights attorney and frequent legal face off guest, Gloria Allred. Oh. What was it like growing up, as you said, as the spawn of Gloria? Um, and was there ever any doubt that you were going to go into the family business, so to speak? Right. So, yeah, somebody, you know, derisively called me the spawn of Gloria all in one time, but I thought it was funny. I liked it. So I, I stuck it, stuck with it. Uh, you know, my mom was a terrific mom because she always wanted me to use my brain and my kids as well, who have grown up to be lawyers. My son's a law student. My daughter's a lawyer. Uh, you know, she encouraged all of us 
to use our brains, to think for ourselves, to debate the issues, to really dig deep and understand the facts and the law. And so it was a lot of fun. And I love my mom. We're very close. I see her every weekend. And we still debate the issues and talk about things that are in the news. And we we don't always agree, but we have very respectful, lively uh, conversations, just like we have done since I was a little kid. Lisa, thank you so much for the time today for joining us. (laughs) Thank you. Happy New Year. You are listening to Christina Martini on Legal Faceoff. Tina is a partner at McDermott, Will & Emery and focuses her practice on domestic and international trademark and copyright law, as well as domain name, internet, social media, advertising, and unfair competition law. Tina has received numerous professional accolades, including an AV preeminent rating by Martindale Hubble and being selected for many years as one of America's leading intellectual property attorneys by various legal publications, including Chambers and Partners and World Trademark Review. Tina is also the recipient of the Anti-Defamation League's Women of Achievement Award and has been recognized by Crane's Chicago Business as one of Chicago's most influential minority lawyers. In addition to her full-time practice, Tina is an author, columnist, legal analyst, and podcast host, and she frequently shares her thought leadership with respect to current issues and trends impacting both the legal and business landscapes through various media outlets. McDermott, Will & Emery is an integrated international law firm. McDermott has an uncompromising commitment to legal excellence, extraordinary client service, and a high-performance culture. It is committed to helping clients achieve stellar legal and business results today and well into the future. To contact Tina and to learn more about McDermott, Will & Emery, visit mwe.com. Great conversation we just had with Lisa Bloom. We now move on to the topic of crime in Chicago on the rise once again. With that, we bring in Dr. David Olson, professor at Loyola University and co-director of criminal justice research there. Doctor, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So, Doctor, over the past several years, Chicago has been pegged as one of the most violent cities in the country. Last year alone, Chicago saw the highest number of homicides, over 800, that it has seen in a quarter century. Can you provide us with more context on how bad the problem really is here, particularly against the backdrop of what's going on in the rest of the country? Yeah, I think I think obviously people should be concerned, uh, rightly so, with the with the large number of homicides and, and shootings we've seen in the last couple of years. It is important to put it into some larger context. Uh, Chicago is not alone. Uh, most large cities in the country have seen increases in, uh, in particular, homicide and gun violence over the last couple of years. So it's one of those where you have to recognize that it's not unique to Chicago and trying to to assume that it's because of factors that are only being seen in Chicago, it's, it's missing the larger point, but it is the, the largest number we've seen in, in a, in a, in a few decades. Um, Chicago is a large city. So when we look at, at levels of crime, it's important to take into account population. So in terms of the rate of homicide and violence, uh, Chicago doesn't necessarily lead the country. There's other uh, cities that do have higher rates of violence once you take into account the, the size of the population. But uh, that's that small consolation for the people who are victimized or, or who live in fear of victimization. What's the relationship uh, between COVID and the uptick in crime, if any? Is there any, any relationship there? I think, I think there's, there's a lot to, to COVID that explains this. Uh, exactly what I don't think we fully have understood it. Um, violence in Chicago and in the rest of the country was on a pretty consistent decline from, from the early 90s. Um, 
even during the the Great Recession in in uh, the the early 2000s, we didn't see this kind of of change. So it's clearly something changed in 2000 and 2001. And and the most obvious thing is is COVID has changed a lot. COVID has changed uh, the conditions in the communities that have, have historically had some of the biggest challenges. Um, so COVID really exposed some of the issues in communities that have historically had high rates of violence, but they also have uh, limited access to healthcare. And that was really something that was made evident. Uh, but we also have to recognize that COVID caused a shift in um, what opportunities there are for people who engage in criminal behavior. Um, you know, if, if people engage in criminal behavior to generate uh, resources, um, with fewer people going out to restaurants and fewer people out on the streets, there's fewer opportunities to commit certain types of crimes. If everybody's in their house because of COVID, there's fewer opportunities to, to commit burglary. So there may be some substitution in terms of what crimes people are, are committing. Um, you know, carjackings have gotten a lot of attention that there's been an increase in carjackings, but at the same time, there's been a decrease in the overall number of, of motor vehicle thefts. You know, kind of the traditional way that cars get stolen with with occupants not in it. So again, it might be some shifts um, because of COVID that we're seeing drive some of these these spikes. But you know, the the increase in in gun violence and homicides in particular, um, it's likely that COVID plays a role. Uh, we also know that in the past couple of years, the volume of guns being purchased and and owned. Um, has gone up dramatically. Again, it's not unique to Illinois or to Chicago. We're seeing this this nationally. So it's likely that what's happening in the broader community is also happening in some of these communities that have historically had problems with with gun violence. Just just a quick follow up to that because I know you want to talk. We want to talk to you a little bit about your thoughts on solutions. But um, you know, we were struck by some thoughts that some prominent uh, legislators here in our state had. Jim Durkin and John Curran, who are uh, in the Illinois uh, legislature, or also former state's attorneys, they talked about this back-to-basics approach, which we've also heard in other parts of the country. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? And also, given that they're former state's attorneys, um, you know, can they really have a lot of credibility on these issues, given their background? Yeah, I mean, you know, with, with all due respect, and, and given their their experience and and professional work in the field, um, I, I appreciate their their thoughts, and they're obviously in a position to affect law. I think what we have to recognize is that getting back to basics, uh, it depends on what that means. Um, if, if getting back to basics means we should be doing more of what we did in the late 80s and early 90s with really long mandatory prison sentences and the death penalty and, and some of those things, um, the empirical evidence is clear that those types of policies do not um, reduce crime. And those policies still exist for the most part. We, we don't have the death penalty in Illinois, uh, but in the 1990s, we implemented truth and sentencing for murder uh, offenses. So if you're convicted of murder in Chicago, the average sentence is around 45 years and you have to serve 100% of that. So you know, I, I think the, the getting back to basics, my concern is it portrays the solution as something that's easy to find and it, it's, it's, it's out there and, and all we have to do is pick it up. The, the solutions to these issues are not that simple and straightforward and we can't rely exclusively on the justice system 
to improve public safety. Uh, they clearly play a role, but often that role is after the fact. And so um, we have to recognize that there's a limited capacity that the justice system has to, to prevent crime. Uh, they can certainly identify people who engage in criminal activity, um, sentence them appropriately, uh, but we should also recognize that um, sending them to prison for a, for a period of time um, doesn't necessarily address the underlying issues that are driving, driving the behavior. So let's talk solutions for a moment. You recently co-authored a piece with um, one of your colleagues at Loyola um, where you did discuss some solutions to the problem, including the importance of lawmakers in that conversation. Can you just take a minute or two to maybe at a high level um, run through what you think some things are that we should focus on to try to drive towards that finish line of a solution? Yeah, I, I think it's being willing to be committed and consistent with supporting and implementing the types of policies and strategies that research shows will have the long-term impact that everybody's looking for. Um, and that's where historically we, we have not had patience to, to spend a couple of years implementing a policy, to, to undo some of the decades worth of, of um, issues that have created these environments that people find themselves in where violence becomes prevalent isn't something that you can change in a year. Um, and that's the, the balance. We can easily pass laws that get tougher on crime in an instant, um, but that doesn't necessarily address the underlying, underlying problem. So it really is uh, investment in communities. It's ensuring that people have access to adequate, not only healthcare like we're seeing with COVID, but mental health care, substance abuse treatment services, uh, therapeutic interventions to address the trauma that people have, have been exposed to and live with. Um, those are the things that long-term will yield a, a good return on the investment, but it is long-term. Um, but we've seen efforts by the city and the state in the last um, couple of years to make that investment. You know, the, the marijuana tax revenue that's going into communities most impacted by gun violence is uh, is designed to get at those root issues. And there's clearly resources that will be behind it and that can be sustained because of the, the legalization of, of cannabis. Uh, but we have to recognize that those programs got implemented uh, part, part of the way through last year. Uh, let's not assume that after a few months of operation, they're going to address all these, these issues. So I think for, for lawmakers, it's to recognize that we already have on the books some of the most punitive responses to crime uh, that we came up with in the 1980s and 1990s. For the most part, those didn't go away. We still have all those, those uh, options available when prosecutors and judges feel that it's appropriate uh, to use those. So I, I don't think that there's necessarily need to further enhance the punishments that we have on the books because they're already they're already in place. Again, that's Dr. David Olson of Loyola University. Doctor, thanks so much for your time. Hey, thank you very much. We've got Amanda Vinicky coming up next, talking about new Illinois state laws in 2022. Stick it tuned right here on the Legal Faceoff podcast. We all know the legal world is complex and high pressure. There's no room for error. That's why judges and attorneys across Chicagoland have trusted the expert court reporters at McCorkle Litigation Services since 1948. McCorkle Litigation Services has accurately recorded every word from thousands of legal proceedings. McCorkle Litigation Services provides the legal community with peace of mind, transcribed 
describing testimony and depositions that can be used reliably by jurors, judges, and attorneys. For all your legal support needs, contact McCorkle Litigation Services online at McCorkleLitigation.com. Moving along in the Legal Faceoff podcast, we head to drug law changes, restrictions on vaping, and Juneteenth, now a paid state holiday, all of that and plenty other Illinois law changes to get to in 2022. With that, we bring in friend of the podcast, Amanda Vinicky, government and political reporter for WTTW, former State House Bureau Chief for NPR Illinois. And like I said earlier, friend of the podcast, follow her at Amanda Vinicky, V-I-N-I-C-K-Y on Twitter. Amanda, thanks for joining us once again. Happy to be here in 22. Our, our annual guest. It seems like every year we have you on to uh, bring our listeners and viewers up to speed on new Illinois laws. Last year, of course, there was, what, only three laws. So I know uh, the legislature made up for it this year with, what, almost 300 new laws. We've got a top 10 list that will fly through in 10 minutes. The first one bans hair discrimination. This is actually a case that we covered earlier on our podcast. But tell us uh, what you cannot do any longer in our state with discriminating against people's hairdos. So you can no longer discriminate against things like um, cornrows or froze or any sort of hairstyle that is based in somebody's ethnicity. Uh, it is still possibly permissible for, you know, if I just wanted to dye my hair pink just because I suppose a school and its dress code could say no to that or you're the attorneys. There might be other qualms and questions there. But this ties it to really discrimination that that a lot of black kids had faced. And there are instances of it. In fact, one that spurred it really only a four-year-old who was told he couldn't go to hair and he couldn't go to school with a very, you know, typical black hairstyle. And so this changes that that is no longer allowed. Schools will have to take that out of their dress codes. So Amanda, tell us about the new law on public school students' mental health days. So this now makes an excused absence for if you are absent from school for reasons of either behavioral or mental health, uh, you can get five days excused from an Illinois school. And that is something, though, if you have on the second day, a school might report it to somebody else within the district, maybe a counselor or something like that, recognizing that there might be a mental health issue to deal with there. Yeah, particularly relevant as kids are back at home now. Uh, I know you're covering the CPS CTU issue, particularly relevant with kids back at home and not having that social emotional uh, outlet at school. Number three on our list, found this one interesting when I was picking the list. Um, and, you know, our friend Joe Brad eats only with his hands, so it's not relevant to him, but you no longer <laughs> use uh, plastic wear, toothpicks, napkins at Chicago restaurants. What's going on? You can ask for them and you'll maybe be automatically receiving them in your happy mailbox or what have you if you're going through a drive-thru. Uh, but it is no longer permitted for restaurants to just give you all of those napkins, plastic straws, things like that. Especially a lot of people, if you're like me, trying to support restaurants, but if you're not really um, able or wanting to go in, dine in, you take it home where you have your own silverware. You don't need all the plastic. I mean, I've got this huge plasticware piling up. So this aims to cut down on that. And that is actually a city ordinance. It's not a state law there. But important question, Amanda, do you own a spork at home? 
better believe it. I've got, <laughs> I've got a spark. I've got a lot of chopsticks. I actually really love Asian food. I've traveled lucky enough to have been to Japan and China and got some cool chopsticks there. I've got my reusable straws. Yeah, I keep them in the car. I do not need any of that plastic Tina, crud. Tina, we need, I need that KFC spork that they throw in. <laughs> you can still ask for it. Okay, I was good. gonna say now I know what to get you for uh, for Festivus, Rich. Fork. <laughs> so number not four, one, maybe not plastic. So number four on our list is Juneteenth. Tell us what's going on there. Well, so this is actually interesting because Illinois was a bit usurped by the federal government. Um, Illinois was set to commemorate Juneteenth as a state holiday, um, a, a paid holiday. And um, but then again, the federal government went ahead and did it. So this 2022 will be the first year really that Illinois is going to be um, recognizing it in this particular fashion. But um, a lot of folks already got the day off last year. And of course, Juneteenth, really an important day, particularly as there's um, wider recognition of um, needing to uh, bring in Black history. There are some several other laws that deal with that in terms of teaching Asian history, teaching Black history. This uh, Juneteenth is in 1865 when enslaved people were finally freed, those who had been unaware of the ratification of the 13th Amendment. Another one, Amanda, that uh, is consistent with the theme of protecting younger people is uh, restaurants offering alternatives to pop or depending on where you grew up, soda or soft drinks. How do you all say it where you grew up? Pop, soda? I personally call everything Coke. Christina. <laughs> You're one of those folks. I'm I one of them. Even though I love Diet Dr. Pepper. So a friend of mine from, uh, from Texas actually would call everything Coke. So that's why she's the only other person I've ever known who is like that. So <laughs> it's all Coke and it is delicious. And this is, again, you can still ask for it for your child. I'll bring up a happy meal again, or really any other sort of children's meal. No pop. Instead, this is a state law where you have to instead automatically give something like water, milk, juice, actual juice, not sugar juice. But again, you, you can ask, and it's interesting because this is one where actually uh, a Chicago mayor, Lori Lightfoot, had said, hey, Chicago wants to do something like this, make kids meals healthier. And then folks had to say, hey, wait up, before you're even going to have the opportunity to enact an ordinance, state's already on top of it. That went into effect January 1. So Amanda, you had referenced this a couple minutes ago. Um, what do we need to know about the Asian American history curriculum? Oh, yeah. So I, as I noted, there's actually... A lot of times, Illinois delves into what needs to be taught in our schools. And there are a lot of people that think that's really important. You'll hear some administrators kind of gripe about the unfunded mandates and <laughs> wondering where all of the class time is going to go because continually these mandates are pushed down from the legislature. Um, but this is one that um, Asian American Pacific Islanders say is really important because they feel really erased from the history books. And this requires that there be a unit taught in schools. It doesn't specify what that lesson needs to be or really even how much it would become a unit, what that might mean. It's just making sure that at some point in time, Asian American history is taught in Illinois schools. Amanda, we've covered lots of stories on our podcast over the last seven years dealing with uh, hate crimes involving 
races. Now it's illegal to discriminate against someone based on their immigration status. Yeah, their immigration status or their citizenship, real or perceived, because sometimes perhaps uh, a perpetrator might not actually know, but could be committing a crime uh, based on what they believe to be somebody's immigration or citizenship status. So Illinois also, you know, a hate crime to uh, do something um, illegal, dangerous, hateful, based on somebody's, as you noted, race, the color of their skin, creed, religion, gender, sexual orientation, um, disability, national origin. Now, again, adding to it immigration status. So, And Amanda, it would, by the way, be a felony. Pardon me there. A hate crime, uh, a felony. Gotcha. Um, so what do we need to know? What's new with respect to police body cameras? What's new with respect to police body cameras is that this is part of a really broad... Uh, criminal justice package that was pushed forth by the Black Caucus, by Black legislators. And we're going to be talking about this, I suspect, uh, if I'm lucky enough to be back on with you guys in 2023, we might be talking about it then, or perhaps on other shows is criminal justice. And unfortunately, with high crime rates in Chicago, continues to get a lot of attention. This is part of that. And really, a body camera requirement for places that by and large, might have already had them in effect, and that would be for requiring body cameras be used by police in areas really like the Collar Counties, who all say that they're ready and are complying. Amanda, continuing on the criminal reform theme, and this is a little surprising that this wasn't a law until uh, this past week, is that uh, no contact orders between uh, you know victims of uh, maybe stalking and the perpetrators now includes electronic uh, communications like emails and social media. I'm surprised that wasn't illegal before now. Isn't it? It's kind of wild to imagine. It's not as if email is anything new. <laughs> my, my inbox, which is overflowing, will prove that to you. It has gained plenty. So, but yeah, now criminal stalking does include threats that are made um, by via, as you said, um, email, social media. Also, by the way, no contact orders are per, that are, if somebody gets a no contact order against somebody, now also included in that is any communication done over email or over, over social media. And, um, and kind of related, I'll just sort of work in three new laws here, also strengthening the confidentiality for victims of human trafficking and stalking. Um, they now can take measures, really get in touch with the Illinois Attorney General and have an easier time making their address and personal information something that you can't publicly access so that those who are stalking or, again, victims of human trafficking um, can't be gone after by the perpetrators of those crimes. So Amanda, last but not least in our Letterman-esque top 10, the most important one, the most groundbreaking change. <laughs> yes, to lighten the mood and an otherwise somewhat somber list here um, is lemonade stands. So tell us about what we need to know about the legality or illegality of lemonade stands. Well, this one's um, kind of wild because, I mean, I, of course, stop and buy lemonade whenever you see a child selling it. And way to go, entrepreneurial spirit. A lot of times they're donated to a good cause. I myself may or may not have sold a cup or two of lemonade when I was a youth. This is a child, Haley, out of Kankakee, who had done that and actually got a write-up in the paper. And after that, authorities went after and said, you have to shut it down, citing health code violations. Uh, this now uh, law says that use 
can go ahead. They can sell lemonade. Heck, you could sell apple juice or these days, maybe hot cocoa. I would personally always go for a nice cup of coffee, anything really non-alcoholic, as long as they are selling it on private property or Parkland uh, it really does have to do with, um, you know, protecting kids. It's kind of something that maybe some people are like, shame on you, health code uh, folks for trying to go after poor Haley. But a broader discussion to bring it back to sort of a serious note here in terms of Illinois grappling with food regulations, sanitization, food handling, and trying to make it both more accessible, but also keeping everybody protected. So again, I'm going to cheat. There's another law that took effect in 2022. I'm a huge farmer's market shopper. And a lot of times folks had to get special licensing or it was really difficult to comply with email orders. And another law sort of along the lines of lemonade there is the home to market law taking effect in 2022. So some of these smaller farms and farmers market operations now can sell to folks without them having to actually be there. They can sell online. But Amanda, the 13-year-old lemonade vendor down the street doesn't have to offer me milk as an alternative to lemonade now, right? <laughs> they those can two might all conflict. the sugar that they want. And yeah. and yeah, local health departments can't do anything about it as long as there isn't any uh, alcohol in there. If they, if they booze it up, then there might be trouble for, for you and the kid. Joe Brand loves street lemonade. That's the big takeaway from this whole discussion. Well, I did, but then they stopped providing the sporks, so it's it's not worth it for me anymore. <laughs> Amanda, thank you so much. One more time, and we'll uh, we'll get you to uh, punch your card, and you get to pick your own segment here on Legal Face Off when you. Become Ooh, I like it. Well, we've got another what two hundred ninety or so laws to go through, so <laughs> maybe maybe we'll get to a few more next time. Thanks for joining us, Amanda. Thanks again. Rich Lenkoff is an attorney with Bryce Downey and Lenkoff. Rich is consistently recognized by clients like United Airlines, McDonald's, Macy's, Dollar Tree, and the Chicago Bears for his outstanding litigation results. In 2015, Target named him their top outside litigation attorney in the country. Rich has received a number of industry accolades, including Illinois Super Lawyer from 2015 through 2019 and Leading Lawyer from 2012 through 2020 designations given to less than 5% of Illinois attorneys. Rich is also an active member of his community, including serving on organizations like the Advisory Board of Legal Prep Charter Academy and the Board of Visitors for the Northern Illinois University College of Law. In addition to his full-time practice, Rich is a prolific producer with credits including Elvis Presley's Heartbreak Hotel, 85, the greatest team in football history, starring Barack Obama, Bill Murray, and the coach, Mike Ditka. And Renegades, a live show in Las Vegas starring Terrell Owens, Jose Canseco, and Jim McMahon. In addition to co-hosting Legal Faceoff since 2013, Rich is the legal analyst for The John Williams Show on WGN Radio. Bryce Downey and Lenkoff is a full-service litigation firm practicing general liability, workers' compensation, professional malpractice, business transactions, and intellectual property, among other practice areas. For more information about Rich and Bryce Downey and Lenkoff, please visit BDLfirm.com. That's BDLfirm.com. It's time for the Legal Grab Bag here on the Legal Face-Off podcast on WGN Radio. Let's get to our two guests. We'll start with Lindsay Strom, an uh, injury attorney at Strom Yen. She's been recognized by Super Lawyers and Chicago Magazine in 2015. She was named one of the 10 best injury attorneys in Illinois and twice named one of the best emerging injury lawyers 
in the U.S. Lindsay, thanks so much for joining us. No problem. Thank you for having me. Along with Emmy and Telly Award winning Whitney Reynolds of the Whitney Reynolds Show on PBS, also Tubi TV and iHeartRadio. Whitney, thanks so much for being here. I am not an attorney, but I'm so excited to weigh in and be here as well. That's what I gotta, we love get, I gotta learn more about Tubi. I see Tubi always, but I can't quite figure out where it is. But I know it's popular. It's growing in popularity. They got a lot of good content. Mm-hmm. It is one of the greatest streaming platforms. I'm a little biased because they just picked me up. But yeah, you'll be able to see our show there. All of our new shows coming out in 2022. And Joe, it should be, that sounds great. Joe, it should be noted that Lindsay is a former guest and former uh, colleague of mine who is now doing great things. And you know, all those awards that you mentioned, you could see him over very subtly over her right hand shoulder. More, there's more to come. You don't see the ones on top. On top are the uh, the. Grand. Yeah, you don't see the ones on top, and yeah. you don't see the awards on my wall either. Those are the Amer- American Music Awards on top. Yes. Well, please, Rich, feel free to take credit for more people's accomplishments throughout yeah. the rest of the podcast. Uh, Tina, I let's a, start. I with- have a rock on my by the way. <laughs> Tina, let's start with the topic of the Trumps moving to quash subpoenas for their testimony and civil investigation. Yeah. So um, on Monday, the attorneys representing former President Donald Trump and his kids, Ivanka and Donald Trump Jr., filed a motion to quash the subpoenas um, from the New York AG's office, claiming that the office was trying to use its civil litigation um, or civil investigation into Trump's business activities to aid the criminal investigation that it's currently conducting with the Manhattan DA's office. So this motion was filed just hours after Trump and his two kids were added as respondents to the civil suit, um, which already names Eric Trump, as well as the Trump Organization and other affiliates. Um, The criminal investigation is still ongoing. Um, In July, both the CFO of the Trump Organization, as well as the Trump Organization itself, pled not guilty to various financial crimes. The legal team for Trump and his children argue that the AG's office is trying to circumvent the grand jury process by having them testify in response to subpoenas in the civil suit. Um, Trump, as we discussed previously on the show, recently filed a lawsuit against the AG's office claiming that these investigations are all politically motivated. James, um, the AG, responded by saying that these are all just delay tactics. And notwithstanding the fact that they all have the Trump name, they need to respond to um, facts and law and deal with the process just like everybody else, and that they're going to continue the investigation. So I'm sure this is not going to go away anytime soon, Rich, just uh, more of the same. Well, all I got to say is uh, thank God for Trump. We thought that 2021 would be the last time that President, former President Trump would provide us with legal content because God knows for the last four years, it's been nonstop content from, from the Trump presidency. Uh, so as we enter, as we do the first part of the new year, Thank God that they've continued to provide us with stuff to talk about. I mean, you know, legally, it's interesting, of course, this difference between the civil and the criminal uh, investigations. But but Lindsay, uh, I think the takeaway here is like Trump will litigate anything, anytime. He'll sue anyone. I think he might be suing us as we speak, just for mentioning (laughs) him. So, you know, this is not going to end. I mean, those guys are not going to testify. We saw in the January 6th investigation, right? It's currently Congress is currently investigating January 6th the uh, anniversary is tomorrow, 
all of his people wouldn't testify. They're all in contempt of Congress. So Trump will sue anyone, which is great news for a personal injury lawyer like yourself, right? Don't you love clients who have unlimited money to sue anyone in the world, regardless of the merits? I mean, that's kind of what builds our, you know, our legal system. They're lucky that they commit crimes but have money because, you know, if you have the money to continue to litigate all the time, then, yeah, that's what they're going to do. They're going to litigate. They're going to delay, delay, delay. Just like Tina said, I mean, we all know the drill. They're, they're going to do whatever they can to get out of it because they know that they did things that they shouldn't have done. And they know that if they testify, then, yeah, their criminal charges are going to be brought against them. So they have no other choice but to do what they're doing. Yeah, Whitney, I mean, you can't not involve. I just had a double negative. You can't not involve politics when you describe this issue. And I just saw a poll. I mean, a poll got a lot of um, notoriety this past week in a huge number of Americans, not just Republicans, but Americans believe that the election was stolen still and that January 6th wasn't committed by you know the perpetrator. So the point of that is Trump has a huge following, right? And until there's a political will, unless there's a will to actually go forward with prosecuting Trump's the government's never really going to do it, right? I mean, I don't think they're really going to ever go after Trump or his kids to the degree that Letitia James, the AG, says she wants to. Well, interestingly enough, this is probably going to be the closest to any time my listeners or viewers have ever heard me talk politics, because I just don't. I don't do it on the show. But it does, I mean, the delay thing does kind of make sense. I mean, if you delay things enough and enough, I mean, my kids use that tactic. They love to delay. And then sometimes I forget about timeout. So, I mean, that's really, I mean, that's really over my head and the sense of like all the subpoenas and how that works. But the delay thing does kind of make sense because it does seem just as like the average person watching that it has gone on. Yeah, it, it does work. You're right. And it's a very deliberate tactic. Um, because at some point, prosecutors and constituents just get tired of the issue and move on. And we saw it just the other day, Tina, with uh, Mario, with, with Governor Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo. The charge yeah. against him was dropped by the Albany prosecutor uh, for his alleged touching of one of his uh, staffers. So that criminal investigation was dropped as well after some delay. So, well, right. yeah, momentum gets lost. I mean, Absolutely. even if you've got a great case, um, and this is something as, you know, th- those of us here who are lawyers, whether you're a transactional lawyer or a litigator, you want to keep the momentum going because if it gets lost, no matter how great things are going or how good your case is, you end up jeopardizing it in the long run. Mm, absolutely. It wouldn't be a legal grab bag on the Legal Faceoff podcast if we didn't bring up the naked baby from the Nirvana album. And it looks like, Rich, it might be the last time we discuss it because the childhood porn lawsuit has been dismissed. Yeah, I mean, we covered this story earlier. Uh, There was a lawsuit by, as you mentioned, the baby, a guy by the name of Spencer Eldon, who was the baby on one of the most famous albums of all time, of course, uh, portraying him floating underwater, looking for a dollar bill. Uh, Yesterday, a federal judge dismissed his lawsuit. He said he had been sexually exploited by Nirvana and a whole host of people. I mean, this guy sued everyone under the sun because uh, this cover of the Nevermind album, he said showed him in a sexual uh, manner and uh, he was taken advantage of. Uh, You know, we cover the story extensively. Of course, it was complete nonsense for a bunch of reasons, not the least of which is 
he himself has benefited from this album cover. And you can, not just because, well, he's made money. He didn't make very much money. He signed away a lot of the royalties, which was part of his allegation, but because he then affirmatively would recreate the album at various anniversary points, right? So as any trier effect, jury, federal judge, they're going to look at that and say, well, wait a second, you're alleging damages, regardless of liability, you're alleging damages to your person, to your mental well-being and all this, but you yourself are continuing to keep the story alive. Mm. It's ridiculous, right? So uh, I'm glad this case was dismissed. As fun as it is to talk about the story, good case for dismissal, Tina. I was kind of surprised, though, when I was doing, when I got over kind of our notes, what we were going to talk about, that how much times have changed. Because if you think about it now, just being a mom um, that's very um, social media, I, I show my kids a lot on that. It's amazing how much it's changed because we did go from that day when I'm an 86er. So my parents took the whole pictures of me in the, you know, the photo album with the little tushy, you know, on the fur blanket. Well, nowadays we never do that. It's like, you know, because all this could come back up when our kids are older. And I think it's something we do have to think about, but it was a different time in there. And like you said, he did benefit from that. And his parents, from what I read, actually um, sold the photo. Right. They saw well, and he tried to pick up girls. I mean, like oh. not only did they benefit from it, but he also used it as like, you know, some some fodder for picking up women at the parties he went to. And so you can't have it both ways. I mean, I think this is the totally right decision. And it's really interesting because it is this mega album that is from a segment of our collective, you know, generation that we look to as one of the best albums of all time and one of, one of the most influential, most certainly. Yeah. And, and, you know, to call it child porn, Lindsay, I mean, really uh, um, is offensive to real victims of, you know, child porn. And we just spent some time talking to some yeah. folks about the Giselle Maxwell verdict, right? Oh, I mean, that was, those were, yeah. Those were actual victims of you know, child victims of yes. a sexual predator. I don't think that same standard applies to the guy who posed on the cover of Nevermind. Not even close. I mean, we know that this whole thing is a joke. I mean, as attorneys, we look at this and we're like, really? Like, why did you even waste your time? I mean, obviously, as Tina said, he was perpetuating it. I think he just wanted the world to know who he was. You know, I think this was a ploy to extend his 15 minutes. Obviously, his parents were involved. The baby's not going to be sitting there giving away photos and signing contracts. I mean, come on. Obviously, there were people involved here who made a grievance. So for him to now try to say, oh, well, this is child porn, it's not, that's not only offensive to the people who actually have been victims of child porn, but it's offensive to everyone involved. I mean, including himself. He's made a mockery of, of the legal system. In a Believe way. me, I go to a lot of like, you know, fan conventions all the time. Joe Brand is, you know, I see him there all the time dressed up. <laughs> this guy will be at every convention now as the Nirvana baby. Yes. He'll have his little postcard. He'll have Nirvana baby on there and he'll be He'll be making money off this for the rest of his life. Of course. I was going to say he'll probably wear a name tags, you know, saying Nirvana baby. Nirvana baby. Yeah. <laughs> Just so everybody knows in case there was any question. Now, now the world knows. who. He is. I recently met the first Jason, the guy who literally played the first Jason in the Friday the 13th movies. And that's his thing. It's it's first Jason.com. It's for he has got swing. <laughs> that's your thing. Let you know, live up to it. How yeah. old is he now? Like 80? He's Those like, movies are like from the seven, like late seventies. Right. He's 60. We got to have him on the show, but he uh, he has a band and 
Yeah, for that brief moment in time where he played Jason, he's now made a career out of it. Well, just like that, maybe the Nirvana baby is trying to make it known that it is him because too many people were trying to claim to be him because there's Ah. really no way to say, oh, I was the Nirvana Nirvana baby. I could could go out and start (laughs) saying that, but not because the guy has spread his name around. I do, Uh, not that I'm defending him at all, but I do want to make note that that would be really creepy if in 2022, an album was released with a naked baby chasing a dollar bill. I do feel a little bit bad for him, okay? So I'm just going to put that out there. because it is do that it, does, anymore. it is a little creepy. You'd be canceled immediately. <laughs> you would be in big trouble. Rich, you brought up uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, and we've talked about that and uh, the Jeffrey Epstein sex abuse case. Prince Andrew now, Tina, says half a million dollars settlement with Jeffrey Epstein means that he's exempt. Yeah, so earlier in the show, we talked with Lisa Bloom actually about the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. And the saga continued yesterday when lawyers for Prince Andrew tried again to block a lawsuit filed by Virginia Jufre, who claims that he sexually assaulted her when she was 17 back in the 1990s. Um, Prince Andrew's attorneys uh, had released details of a purported settlement back in 2009 in which um, Virginia had taken $500,000 from Jeffrey Epstein um, in consideration for not bringing further legal action. Um, Jeffrey uh, contends that there was actually a more recent settlement that supersedes the 2009 settlement and where Prince Andrew was clearly cut out of it. So trying to undercut um, the defense's arguments. So the prince was in court yesterday again, arguing that the lawsuit should be dismissed. Um, He had previously tried to get this lawsuit dismissed on the basis that Jeffrey doesn't live in the U.S. any longer. She's a resident of Australia. Um, He apparently had a pretty tough day in court yesterday, as we discussed with Lisa Bloom. Um, He garnered absolutely no sympathy from the judge. Um, The judge got pretty agitated and was very animated in his questioning and is expected to rule very soon. Um, And legal experts say that there really isn't any chance of this case getting dismissed, that he needs to be ready to either settle, default, or get ready for for trial because this case is not going to go anywhere. Hey, listen, in the words of the great Lisa Bloom, who knows this stuff more than anyone of us, uh, it's total nonsense. I mean, you know, how do you benefit from a settlement? I mean, it's one thing, and we all know that settlements between sexual abusers and their victims is ridiculous in and of itself, right? You're perpetuating yes. making someone a victim by then paying for their silence. That's that's done, thankfully, as a society. But then to argue that not only should Epstein and his victims be barred, you know, his victims should be barred and, and subject to this settlement, but Prince Andrew, I mean, he's not a party to it. He wasn't, you know, a party to this. I mean, basic contract law, uh, Lindsay, is that, you know, there's a there's two parties to it. Prince Andrew wasn't a party to it. So this blanket language that not only me, but all the creepy animals that I hung out, uh, hung out with that victimized these children should be barred is crazy. Right. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's nuts. It's insane to try to claim that he's a third party beneficiary. How? Right. How are you a third party beneficiary? He had nothing to do with any of it. He wasn't part of the jurisdiction. He wasn't named. There's no ties to him whatsoever. So to try to claim it, it only makes the position worse because then it's, you know, he's basically solidifying his position by saying, oh, well, I should be exempt because, you know, this pertains to me too, by the way. 
Yeah, but I mean, speaking of the You're basically like- admitting fault. It's the dumbest position that one could possibly take. I think it's absolutely insane and absurd. But you know right. what? I've learned that the it means world he's got nothing, right? Insane. If that's the best he's got, then <laughs> yeah. that tells you everything. You're Prince Andrew for F's sake. Like, you don't have a better argument than this. Like, Whitney, it's the exactly. ultimate. It's the ultimate insult, I think, to a lot, you know, these victims, but also it's the ultimate example of like just old white male privilege. I hate to sort of use that that argument, but it really is. It's like the ultimate, you know, trying to get out of jail free pass by a guy who, by all accounts, like is just totally guilty of, of all this stuff. We've covered a lot of this on our show um, with victims and that kind of stuff. the whole thing just makes me sick at my stomach. That's, you know, obviously I don't know the intricate details. I say, show the facts. If you really, you know, if, if you claim all this stuff wasn't there, then, you know, show that, but like, it just makes me sad, but it also makes me really, you know, it's going to make people think it's going to make, you know, bosses. And even, you know, like even with my staff, like in this day and age, like we're very, we're, we're, we run the show a lot differently. Like we have an open door policy, like where, you know, back in the day when I worked um, as an intern at good morning America, it wasn't necessarily the same way, but now it's like, because there are so many people coming out saying different type of abuses happen. I think it's kind of shining light on how we should run our businesses in the future and behind closed doors as well. And so that's what I, I had to say, if a prince is getting called out on this, it's kind of showing that if royalty can, it can happen to any of us. So we all need to kind of make sure we're all doing our part to move the dial forward in a, in a good way where this stuff doesn't keep perpetuating. The princess of Dubai is now $720 million richer after a divorce payout. This story is unbelievable. Speaking of privilege, right? Speaking of rich person (laughs) privilege, my God. Oh my God. So it's a story of, I mean, they got to make a series out of this, but it's a bitter divorce and settlement dispute involving Princess Haya bint al-Hussein, who is the daughter of the late King Hussein of Jordan and her ex-husband. She was the sixth wife, actually, of multi-billionaire, and I mean billion, not million, Dubai ruler Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum. So a few weeks ago, this all happened in England. A British judge awarded a record-breaking settlement worth in excess of $720 million to the princess in this custody battle. So there were some really incredible details, some of which we'll get to in a moment about just the kind of money that we're talking about here. But the really disturbing details are that the princess fled Dubai with her two children, Apparently, she was really concerned about their welfare. Um, There were a lot of details about his abusive behavior towards her and their children. Um, She filed divorce, fled Dubai to Britain in in 2019. Um, There's some really ugly details about how he had used um, the Pegasus spyware to hack into hers and her friend's phones. Apparently, he abducted two of his other children and bought Um, property near one of the princess's homes to threaten her. Um, And so given that there seem to be real concerns about the princess's safety and that of her children, $720 million settlement, most of that is really to provide security as well as armored cars, cyber protection, all those things that you would expect come with protecting somebody, especially somebody who's royalty. Um, And there's like so there's 333 million of that is for living costs and then like 385 of it is a guarantee 
In terms of the opulence here, just to talk about what the standard of living is that the princess and her children got used to, there were there was 500,000 awarded for food during vacations, 368,000 for maintaining pets, horses and um, other pets for the children, $50,000 alone for two trampolines, um, $42 million was requested to replace the princess's wardrobe that she had to leave behind, but the court cut that down to $1.3 million. Um, the $26 million request for jewelry was cut to $18 million. Um, there's private planes, there's renovations to kitchens, all this stuff, but I mean, the list goes on and on, but this was clearly um, the biggest payout associated with a divorce in history. So, Rich, I've never seen anything like it. You know, I've been known to uh, do some damage in hotel rooms over the years uh, and, you know, hit the hotel minibar. But how about eight hundred thousand dollars, though, for one stay? Eight hundred grand for a hotel bill vacation in Italy. I mean, wow. I mean, is it uh, did did you stay like did you rent out the Vatican for the vacation in Italy? Um, But, you know, I guess if I was her attorney. Whitney, I might just have like a one word defense. It would be, um, yeah, judge, uh, you know, she's a princess for Christ's sake. You know how expensive it is I mean, to be a princess? So are all how is she supposed to be a princess? I mean, it's a princess for God's sake. Give us a break. She needs opulence. Well, and I don't, you know, again, this isn't really, I'm, you know, I'm not an attorney, but one thing that I didn't hear listed off is, you know, the mental well-being. I mean, that, that's some scary stuff. If she really had to go through like worrying about her life or her kid's life, like that to me, I, I don't know if you can even put a price on that because that's some scary stuff. For, I know I'm traveling overseas next month for an assignment for our show and we have security and I've never had to have security in a new, you know, and just that alone has been kind of keeping me up saying, do I do this? Do I not? You know, that's, there's no um, price tag on your mental well-being, and I think she's been through a lot. So, I mean, that's also a heavy price tag just in general. I mean, like the hotel room and the trampolines kind of got me. I'm like, oh, I found those on Amazon for like two thousand. Those are expensive. <laughs> and she also Wait. and she also spent ninety million dollars on lawyer's fees. Thank I think God it would have been that. wonderful Lindsay's, Lindsay's, to be the lawyer, right? <laughs> Lindsay say yes, that's well worth it. You know, the answer to this story can be found in uh, the Sally Field movie, Not Without My Daughter, right? Where mm-hmm. she's uh, taken by Dr. Octopus, by uh, what's his name? Uh, the actor who plays Doc Ock in Spider-Man. Yeah, this whole story was played out in, in a movie already. But um, yeah, Lindsay, uh, 90 million seems like a drop in the bucket for her. You know, Alfred Molina says, you know, that's correct. Alfred Molina was the star of uh, Without My Daughter. But uh, it ain't cheap being a princess is the takeaway, Lindsay, right? No, yeah. I mean, I actually wrote down exactly what Whitney said, which is that, you know, how do you put a price on that kind of terror and abuse that she suffered? I mean, yeah, it's it's extreme um, amounts of money for things, no doubt. But again, when you're talking about somebody spying on you constantly and terrorizing you and kidnapping your children. I do think that it should be a heavy price tag, but the unfortunate thing is he doesn't care. Money's no object. So I don't really think it in the end, it means much to him, which is the sad part about the whole thing. Well, if they're looking for additional counsel, Lindsay, remind everyone of the website, uh, strong. 
I, I mean, absolutely. I, I will go beyond my bounds as a workers' comp personal injury attorney to represent any royalty that wants me to represent them. I'd be happy to do so. Yeah. Stromlawyers.com. You'll, it's it's close to not your fees are usually close to 90 million but you might uh, yeah, right. okay. break. yeah don't give people the wrong idea no not even close well listing a handful of obscure payments and purchases is now something that the irs wants you to do make sure you keep tabs on all your illegal drugs that you've been dealing everything else that you've been usually doing under the table because apparently rich the irs now wants you to uh, put down all your dirty laundry on your tax return yeah. anytime you wonder when you look at your paste of a wonder where the hell all this money is going and why the government is charging you so much in taxes uh maybe this is a reason why the government uh is dumb right uh there is a IRS, who knew that the irs uh wants to charge people and the words are income from illegal activities such as money from dealing illegal drugs I don't know. I'm no wordsman, but the word illegal is in there twice. So the government wants, let me just get this straight. I'm performing illegal acts and I'm making money from illegal acts, but I legally am required, legally required to pay my taxes. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. I'll, I'll fulfill my obligations as a taxpayer from money I'm stealing from other people. How likely is it that your average criminal is going to say, oh my God, I can't believe that I haven't been paying taxes according to IRS publication 17 all these years. Hey, put that meth, put that big bucket of meth down and let's start, let's call our CPA because God damn it, we don't want to be arrested by the feds. Although Tina worked with, uh, with uh, what's his name? Uh, Al Capone, famous Chicago uh, criminal. He got nailed on tax evasion. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if they think that this belts and suspenders approach is going to enable them to get a criminal that they otherwise wouldn't be able to get. But, you know, this whole story was just I mean, I couldn't stop chuckling. I mean, I know that, you know, it sort of is what it is. But one of the things that I found really remarkable and gives me hope that at least some people are going to claim, uh, you know, their their uh, their wealth accumulation, so to speak, by illicit activity is the fact that you have people that put that they're a prostitute down on their tax returns. So if you've got people who are, you know, disclosing the and fact- you know that, this how, and, Tina? How huh? do you know that fact? This was that? in the article. Oh, okay. <laughs> how else do you think I'd know, Rich? Come uh, on. <laughs> what are you insinuating? <laughs> uh, Lindsay, you represent sometimes some people who are, you know, a little bit maybe on the fringes of society. Would you counsel your- uh, Clients to follow the law regardless of how they derive that income? I'm sure you would as a law-abiding attorney. Well, um, you know, I I try not to talk to my clients about any of their personal finances, but... uh, As long as they pay strom yen, you don't... It doesn't matter where it came from, right? As long as that check clears. Rich knows very well that we don't get paid anything from clients. We get paid when we win. We get paid when we get a settlement. So no clients are paying me dirty money because the only money I'm getting is from your client. So if it's dirty, that's on you. But what I will say is this. That was the funniest article. I was laughing as well. I thought to myself, well, if you can't bring a claim in court for someone stealing your, your illegal you know, stuff such as drugs, right? You can't go to court and say, judge, this person stole my drugs and I want $500 back. 
how can the IRS do this? It makes no sense. Nothing is logical about this whole concept, especially when you take it in context of the law itself. It makes no sense. It's insane. I don't understand how this can even exist. It's ridiculous. Who would put themselves in this kind of a situation? I don't know anyone that would. I think this is where you, they get that saying, you're darned if you do, you're darned if you don't. Like, if you do, you're definitely in trouble. Oh, if you don't, time. you're in trouble. It's just kind of more investigation work that it sounds like to me. However, I was chuckling as well, Tina, whenever I was reading this, but then I was thinking about my son's Pokemon cards. I spent so much money on those and he took them to school and what did he come home with? None. I hope those parents report those Pokemon cards on their IRS <laughs> stuff this year. Yeah. I know their kids have them. I've already asked the group chat. No one's saying they're there, though. You're on notice. <laughs> Whitney's after you. Oh, my goodness. I think our next Legal Face-Off podcast, we need to get the drug dealer that files their tax return with their the drug dealings and why they do it and what the process is like and what the benefit of it is. Because get I'd love working to on that. Yvonne, get working on it. <laughs> We'll have to lower his voice and you'll have to shade him out. Yeah, yeah. It's well, going to be like the unsolved mystery look. Don't laugh. WGN, uh, early, John Williams had on a uh, a carjacker talking about uh, the secrets of carjacking in Chicago. Come on. Was he, he in the car? that as well, too. It was really mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, he was in my car when he was giving the interview. It was terrible. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, decisions in a car, when your most known roles are Champ Kind from Anchorman, Todd Packer from The Office, and Mr. Meaner from Captain Underpants, the story might not surprise you, but David Keckner arrested for a DUI, Rich, and a hit and run on New Year's Eve. Yeah, DUIs are serious. We don't want to make light of it. Uh, thankfully, they, they caught him. But uh, the big takeaway of the story is if we're able to show the... Uh, Maybe the angriest mugshot in history. We love to, there it is. There's David Keckner, champ kind. Uh, if any picture says it's 3 a.m. and I just blew a 1.7 and I'm, you know, pretty famous, it's that one. It looks like he's in mid, mid yell of the shot. We've had our history on legal face off of covering some of the best celebrity uh, mugshots because they are very entertaining. There's, of course, our friend Nick Noli, the 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 Hank Aaron of, of celebrity mugshots, really very very <laughs> prolific. You can't beat the the hair, the Hawaiian shirt, the bewildered look in that one. What else we got? James Brown, the great James Brown, the semi shirtless. That was, I believe, after a multi state car chase uh, with multiple police jurisdictions. They finally caught up with the Godfather of Soul. Who else we got? Yasmin Bleeth, uh, famous uh, mid nineties uh, Baywatch star. Also from Melrose Place. Go back to Yasmin Bleeth for a second. Yeah, not a, not a great look. Not right off the set of Melrose Place. Uh, then we got who? We got one of the judge. I defy yes. you to tell me if this no, is no. impossible to tell. If this is the mom or the daughter. No one. It's ever the knows. daughter. The daughter. <laughs> daughter, but she's smiling. She's like, yeah, you got me. I'm famous. I'm a felon, but I'm okay with that. Yeah, bring it on. Let's go. Who else we got? Oh wow, Chicago's very picture. own. Yeah, Chicago's very own Vince Vaughn. I'll tell you, that doesn't look, I mean, if you put that next to a publicity still of Vince Vaughn, I don't know that there's much difference between those. Yeah, this actually may be a better picture of him than some others I've seen. (laughs) Back to the the Melrose Place, uh, we've got a star of TJ Hooker and Melrose Place, Heather Locklear. I mean, not 
Not bad. It looks like she made herself up for this one, kind of. Not a bad look. A little surprised looking, like, how'd you catch me again, even though I've committed four other felonies? This looks like it was during the Richie Sambora years. Yes. Yeah. And then finally, who else we got? Oh, wow. Oh, ripped horn. Hey, wow. Hey. <laughs> That, uh, yeah, uh, Artie from uh, Larry Sanders, one of the great shows that you young people have never heard of, but real seminal show in TV history. Yeah, that's a great, great. Uh, I think the lesson is when you're when you're going into the slammer, bring a comb, maybe. Right. That's one common denominator. Have a yeah. brush or a comb or yeah, James style. Brown could have used that, too. Your stylist, Whitney, maybe you bring with 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 you to jail because that's a I let's face it, that's the picture that most people that's what you'll be remembered for that one picture. Ugh. Well, my driver's license doesn't look much better, and I I got all gussied up for that one, and same thing. What if you came dressed as Nick Nolte for your <laughs> driver's license picture? I'm sure people have done that. It almost looked like his Hawaiian shirt was off a button, too, which, which made it even better. <laughs> that was the one thing he got wrong in that picture was the, the button. Yeah, Lindsay, what would you, uh, what would your, give us a shot of what the straw mugshot would look like. Do you want to? Oh, my God. No. It would, be, I just, it would be impeccable. It would be perfect. Yeah, no, perfect I'd probably up. have my hair like a messy bun or something, and, you know, my eyes would be. Just a little bit, a little bit droopier, but uh, yeah. there it is. <laughs> nice. nice. There, it is. there we, we don't need to speculate with Joe Brand because there, there it is from three nights ago. I got a, I got a really quick Kector story. David Kector, the guy we just saw, I had a drink with him at the Langham Hotel in Chicago. Not only him, but Jimmy Fallon's uh, guy. Who's his announcer, his sidekick? You know, anyway, oh, that guy. Higgins? 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 I had a drink with Kechner and Higgins at the bar. And let me I tell you, that so was jealous. not, those were not the most famous people I met that night. It was also the night at the Langham. I met the one and only teen idol, Harry Styles at the same bar. Wow. So one night, Harry Styles, David nice. Kechner and Higgins. There's my Kechner story. That's amazing. And we had a couple shots. I'm sure. Time. Yeah. Let's, you should be like texting me, like Lindsay, get over here yeah, right now. Absolutely. There's famous people here that you would like to talk to. I want yeah. to text next time. That's awesome. You might have had a couple shots, but the key thing is you didn't drive, so we will sure. not see a mugshot of you. That's and that's the I mean, that's that's the thing. I'm I'm happy whenever I see that justice is not blind. Like it it should be served to people who, who are famous. Who, um, because unfortunately we do note those people a little bit more, but it, that's one thing that I take a really, really strong stance on is I just cannot, there's too many lives lost by being stupid or thinking that you're above the law. And I'm really, I always get really happy when the law does catch, um, people that think they are above it. Yeah. No question. Yeah. There's that night. (laughs) Nice. Me and Harry. Why, why does it look like Harry Styles is taking the picture of you two? I'm, I'm so mad about that. <laughs> hey, Harry knew what was up. He, was, he knew that he was in the, in the, in the midst of legal face-offs very own. It, it looks like Harry Styles just tweeted out, just ran into Rich Lenkov at this bar. <laughs> and took picture. Uh, well, uh, Rich, we appreciate the audible, the extra story that we added here on Legal Face-Off. I wanted to say, wait, what? Or I hate it. But uh, the only reason I'm able to say those things is because we're not in a Michigan school, because apparently they are removing those phrases. Can't they remove phrases like let's circle back on this or per my last email or phrases that people actually get perturbed by? 
Well, we had to, yeah, we have to add the story because Lindsay will tell you, again, I said earlier in the show that I'm very proud to have played a small role in Lindsay's development as a lawyer. And she will tell you from day one, my absolute aversion to word legalese and dumb words and terrible legal writing. If it's one thing that drove me crazy and that Lindsay learned early was that don't sound like a lawyer. Don't write all these extra nonsensical words. Lindsay, am I telling the truth? It's true. And I've actually said those exact same words to my protégés and the people that work underneath me. Stop talking in so much legalese. You don't need to do that. You don't need to show people. Like, they know you're a lawyer. Exactly. You don't need to do that. Whitney, uh, lawyers are famous for making people remember that they're lawyers and using all sorts of fancy words. So I want to jump on this list, but also because we're a legal show, talk about some words, Tina, legally that we'd like to put in the garbage bin in 2022. So the non-legal words, again, Joe mentioned a couple of them, but uh, at the end of the day, that's one of my pet peeves. Like at the end of the day, this is what's going to happen. Well, what about right now? Why do we want to wait till the end of the day? I want to know what's happening right now. How are things going to change at the end of the day, Whitney? How about uh, no worries, uh, circle back that Joe mentioned. The new normal, please. Let's stop that, the new normal. It can't be new if it's normal, right? I mean, at some point, the new normal just is normal. It's not new anymore. This is like a Seinfeld, right? What is the deal with the new normal? There's no Who are these people? Uh, Very curb your enthusiasm, Larry yeah. David of you, Rich. Yeah, you're on mute. We talked earlier. I was on mute. And, you know, that's not a saying that you got to abandon, though. I mean, what else are you going to use to substitute you're on mute when someone like me is on mute? <laughs> I, well, can't, I just can't stand here we go again because it is like day four into the new year and people are already saying here we go again and i'm like guys we gotta believe it's gonna be better <laughs> like i just got all right so legally tina i mean i have a list in my head i didn't even have to prepare a couple words that i'd like no lawyer to ever use again on this planet are let me write like, these down give me a sec right, i gotta go ahead Lindsay, you have my list well, you so, have it from 2010, probably. Just, so you just pull God up my forbid, email. you know, God forbid. I want to make pull sure. Pull up my email from uh, July 7th, 2011. <laughs> and it's in there, but it's me yelling at you. Don't use these words. But I don't know. Here to four, uh, here with, here's my one, my one favorite that we got to get rid of, Tina. It's please be advised that. Now I ask you, is there any sentence that follows the words, please be advised that, that are made better by the words, please be advised that? Please be advised that I'm calling you to discuss settlement. If you just said I'm calling you to discuss settlement, would the person think <laughs> they're not advising me? So how do I know what they're talking about? Well, I mean, just as a general, I mean, like I, I find a lot of legal writing. It brings me back to language arts. OK, so what drives me nuts is when people don't draft sentences with a subject and a verb. They do it in past tense. They end sentences with prepositions. I hate attach, please find. Yes. Hate it, hate it, hate it. That is my pet peeve. There are other oh, pet peeves it. too, but like when I start working with new lawyers to, who are new to the firm, whether they're new to the practice or whether they're experienced, the minute I see attach, please find, I am taking the red pen and saying, we attach. Let's keep it active. Let's keep it real. <laughs> Oh my God. Active versus passive. I, I, I Oh I, wait, now, now I've got one. When people uh, email, when people email and say, hi, Joe, 
My name is blah, blah, blah. It's an email. It says your name right in the email. I don't need to know your name anymore. We're not face to face. Like that is one thing. That's a pet peeve of mine. That hey, that goes back to that goes back to, to voicemail, right? When people leave uh, on their outgoing voicemail, they say who they are, that they're not at the, they're not able to pick up the phone. We get it. That's why it's voicemail. We know that we're not talking to you. We know it's voicemail. You don't have to say that you're not able to pick up the phone. Have you heard have you heard my voicemail? I have not. Hi, I'm not here. If I didn't answer, I think you're a robot. So leave me a message to prove to me that you're not. <laughs> wow. Not bad. You accused me of being a robot when I Facebook, Facebook messengered you the other day. Well, that, that's true. Well, that's because you asked for my Venmo account. You're like, you sound like a robot. What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. All right, Whitney, what words do you want to banish, legal or non-legal, in 2022 or phrases? Yeah, I think here we go again is my big one. Or um, I don't like the word hate either. Um, my kids are saying that. I think they've been um, taught that. I also don't like whenever like my I have a lot of people doing a lot of shorthand emails these days. So that's not necessarily a word, but I'm seeing a lot of shorthand emails. And that actually drives me absolutely nuts because I get when we text like, Hey girl, G U R L, what's up? But when I get that in an email, I'm like, hey, not your girl. <laughs> this is a booking request. <laughs> Lindsay, last word words to avoid or phrases. I'm consciously trying to not say you guys when I'm referring to members of the opposite sex. And it's, it's, it's so pervasive and it's really hard to kick, but it's really a kind of a strange term to use when you're talking to women. That one doesn't bother me that much. Um, I can't think off the top of my head of things that really do of certain words that really do peeve me. But, um, one of the things that does drive me crazy is when an attorney sends a really nasty email and ends it with respectfully, I'm like, <laughs> um, very what? truly yours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very truly, very, really. I do think the very truly yours thing is very outdated and I I don't like it. I know that people use it all the time. I mean, I still use it sometimes, but it's like you want to write me this horrible email and basically tell me to go F myself. And then you end it with very truly yours. Right. Well, that's like, that's like a golden rule. A golden rule when someone says, with all due respect, comma, yes. you know they're about to say something that's completely disrespectful. <laughs> okay, th- that is, I-, I will have to say, that is my biggest pet. pet you're not, you're about to just, respect. yeah, you're about biggest, to say something that's the worst, worst disrespectful thing of all time. Clients say that to me all the time. And as soon as you hear, with all due respect, you know that nothing good is going to come after it. So I kind of just like, hope with all, I'm like, oh God, here, here's the, what their rant is going to be now, you know? So and also, all you mentioned, respect can go away forever because exactly. no, no, no respect is coming after that. And you mentioned Larry David earlier. One of the greatest Larry David episodes was his whole take on having said that. That's another great one because you you can erase everything you just said negative about <laughs> someone or something by simply interjecting having said that. So I hate you so much. You're the worst person in the world. Having said that, I'd love to have you for dinner. <laughs> You would be a good middle, Rich. You'd be a good middle at dinner. Oh, yeah. I pride myself on being a good middle. <laughs> and that's that's another Curb Your Enthusiasm reference. Yes. For anyone that doesn't know, it's about being in the middle of the dinner table and carrying on the conversation for the whole table and everyone there. That's what that means for clarification. <laughs>
Ben Anderson, let's get the uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm outro at the end of the <laughs> podcast right here. Another big thanks. Another big thanks to Lindsay Strom, uh, truthfully yours of stromlawyers.com. <laughs> Winnie Reynolds, hey girl, thanks for joining us. Check her out at winniereynolds.com. Follow her on social. Watch her show on PBS, 2B TV, and the podcast on iHeartRadio. Big thanks as well to Lisa Bloom, Dr. David Olson, Amanda Vinicky, and our producers, Yvonne Barbos, Emily Flores, and Ben Anderson. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share the Legal Faceoff podcast. And please rate us five stars. For Tina Martini and Rich Blenkoff, I'm Joe Brand. Please be advised our next podcast will be in two weeks. We're very proud. It's a podcast that we're very proud of. And wait, don't forget a birthday shout out to a member of the show, to our Emily favorite former producer, semi-producer, Emily Flores. She's off doing other things and taking care of her CPS kids who are home. But happy birthday to Emily Flores. And uh, thanks, you guys. No problem. I then, you see what I did there, right? I, I said you guys. <laughs> we'll see you next time on Legal Face Off. It's Christina Martini and Rich Linkoff. You know what time it is. Welcome to Legal Face Off. Two lawyers trading jab for jab. So hit them up with any questions you have. WGN Radio, we blowing up your stereo. Got a question? Just pick up the phone and they'll let you know. Covering sports, Hollywood, and don't forget.